Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Joining us today to continue our conversation on REITs or real estate investment trusts. Glad to welcome back to the podcast, John Wallachian, Real Estate and Lodging Analyst Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. John, good morning to you. Thank you for dropping by and for spending some time with our listeners. Great to have you back. Morning, Dan. Thanks for having me and great to be back. So, John, to begin, maybe just to take a step back, thinking about the year that has been 2022, challenging period for the U.S. REIT sector as rates have been on the rise and still rising. So, John, can you put some numbers around that for us in terms of year-to-day performance for the group? It's not been a pretty picture. Uh, REIT, the, the REIT sector is measured by the S&P uh, Real Estate Index is down about 33%, and it's underperforming the S&P 500 by about 1,100 basis points. Uh, while that is very poor on both an absolute and relative basis, if there's anything interesting, and I use that word you know, carefully, the, in fact, all of the underperformance, if not more of it, came between the start of September and the first week of October. And what happened there is that's when rates really started to rip, and the Fed made it very clear what their positioning is. And so while that doesn't take the sting out of this uh, at all, I mean, clearly it, sh- it shows how incredibly sensitive certain sectors are to movement and rates, particularly sectors that there is a yield component to. So, John, I understand investors typically gravitate towards rates for the dividend exposure. So how have dividend yields performed recently relative to bond yields? The dividend yields, I mean, yield members are a function of the absolute dividend and the stock price. So clearly, with stock prices going down, the yields are going up. But the issue is that bond yields are rising faster than REIT yields. There are a lot of reasons people buy REITs. Yield is only one of them. But nonetheless, yield is an important component. And so if you put everything else aside and just think logically, this morning you can buy a two-year treasury with a yield of approximately 4.6%. If you were to buy just a REIT ETF, you could get a yield probably close to 3.7%. So just you know, putting aside everything else, you're saying, I can get a higher yield with no equity risk. Now, you, you know, if you're not, unless you hold the maturity, you're theoretically taking principal risk. But uh, if you had to sell the bond, but you know, the U.S. government's not going to default on a bond. And so I think that the yield component uh, of bonds relative to REITs is making it a more challenging uh, equation, particularly for non-dedicated real estate investors who are saying, I don't have to own REITs. So in this interest rate environment where the cost of capital is going up, cost of refinancing is going up, and I can get higher yields on a risk-free basis, it's understandable. And and unless and until, or I should say until, the Fed makes it clear that, you know, they're going to take – they're going to take the pressure off the economy with rate increases. It's going to be a challenging place to be. Uh, that's Reland, by the way. John, I do want to point out to our listeners and their clients, you recently authored a note back on October 7th, U.S. REITs and rapidly rising interest rates, a volatile combination. I was looking through the notes, something interesting to take away. You cite this in the publication is how private real estate continues to outperform its public peers. So, John, what do you attribute that dynamic to exactly? When you buy a REIT, you're buying a stock first and real estate second. So even though the underlying fundamentals 
are driven by uh, by real estate and the particular property type, you're still buying a stock first. So you there there's instantaneous liquidity and sometimes uh, rational and sometimes irrational behavior. Now, as I said earlier, you, you know REITs are round numbers three percent of the S and P uh, market cap. So unless you are a dedicated manager, you don't have to own REITs. So number one, they can be sold very, very easily. Number two, uh, look, real estate is economically sensitive and it's a lagging economic indicator. And so you certainly have a number of market participants that are saying uh, the market, the, the public markets are presaging a downturn in the economy and it will ultimately show up in private real estate. But the other thing is, and I think this is a very important consideration. You know, private real estate, um, one of the ways we measure valuations in real estate is called what's called a cap or a capitalization rate. And the best way to think about that is a capitalization rate is an inverse of a P.E. multiple. Uh, so think of it as close to an earnings yield. So remember, the higher the P.E. multiple, the higher the value, all else being equal. Well, the lower the cap rate, the higher the value. So just logic would dictate, and history has shown, that directionally there should be a relationship between interest rates and cap rates uh, in the private market, and history has shown that. However, the relationship is not linear, and one of the things that will drive that gap between interest rates and cap rates, and this is one of many things it will, is the supply and demand for real estate and the amount of capital in the market. And I think this is one of the things that explains the significant outperformance of private real estate relative to public. First of all, it's a much less liquid market. Uh, and while some could argue it's a less efficient market, I would argue it's actually a more efficient market because you're having, you know, you're, you're having experts price it. But with all the capital that is still sitting on the sidelines that is allocated to commercial real estate and with stock and bond markets having the poor performance they have, a lot of institutions are increasing their allocations to alternative asset classes. And this includes private real estate. And so I think that has helped keep cap rates lower. The other thing to remember is uh, valuing any risk asset is more art than science. Valuing real estate is, I call it Jackson Pollock art. It's very complicated, and it does involve a lot of assumptions. But unlike straight straight bond math, where you know if you have a fixed rate bond, interest rates go up, principal goes down, it's a very straightforward calculation. In real estate, you have two components. You have a numerator and a denominator. You have your denominator, which is your cost of capital, your cap rate, but your numerator is your net operating income, which is a function of your revenue growth, which is ultimately a function of your rents and your occupancy, less your operating expenses. So depending on your property type, you can have a growth component that is outpacing the rising cost of capital. So I think if you look at some of the private REITs that are out there that have put up you know, high single-digit returns this year, it's because they own those asset classes, uh, and those are those are predominantly been multifamily and industrial, where rent growth has been very, very strong and demand is high, hence a lot of capital is going into it. Now, you know, what the future holds, um, that's a more challenging question. But I think that really does explain why you've seen such a disparity. And the other thing in private real estate, that it's all based on appraisal. Uh, now, obviously, appraisal will look at uh, well, show me transactional, you know, comparable transactions. But there is still a lot, a lot of sub, uh, 
of subjective judgment that goes into it. So would I be surprised if some of these private REITs were to start to show maybe a diminution in performance? No, it wouldn't shock me. But do I think it'll be anywhere on the scale of what we've seen in public REIT markets? No, I do not. Thank you for the clarity around those markets. It's worth bringing up that we are in the early days of the Q3 reporting season. I know you've been busy listening into management calls and going through reports in the past few days. So what are your expectations, John, for the group? And what have you been listening in on with these management calls? Anything in particular pique your interest? It's been early. We've heard from three uh, industrial slash warehouse REITs. And although, uh, you know, Certainly, managements are taking a more cautious commentary around the macroeconomic uh, picture, which is, I think, prudent. The numbers themselves, both the actual numbers and the forward-looking guidance, have been very, very strong. And I think that does go to what is a very solid demand picture there. We've only heard so far from one office company. And, you know, office certainly does have a lot of question marks. So we're going to be looking for what the trajectory of leasing is, what the trajectory of uh, the difference between what are called asking rents or face rents versus net effective rents, i.e., you know, how much free stuff do landlords have to give away to entice entice tenants? Is there is, is this flight to quality we're seeing still on? We're obviously going to look for, are, are there any hiccups in the capital markets? What's the cost of accessing capital? So it is early days. And so far, look, we haven't heard anything that has surprised us. Uh, and I think anybody who's surprised by any uh, any management team saying we're taking a more cautious outlook in the economy has probably not been watching the news. So, uh, but you know, those are some of the things we'll be looking for. You know, obviously, um, we want to make sure that the that dividend coverage is safe. We always we we strongly urge investors never to chase yield. It's very important to buy quality, and this is true in any sector. But in REIT land, uh, I, I often hear people say, look at the yield on this, look at the yield on that. And I'm like, well, that yield could be transitory. It's probably a poor choice of words given given what the Fed has said about transitory. But uh, So it's really important to buy quality. Thank you for sharing some takeaways there. Early days, more reporting ahead of us. So as we begin to close out our conversation this morning, John, with respect to positioning within the group, how are you recommending that investors perhaps approach an allocation into REITs at this time? The conversations we've been having with our clients is, if you do not own REITs right now, we think there are some some really good values out there, but the, the economic picture is uncertain. And REITs, as I said earlier, are not only economically sensitive, they are a lagging economic indicator. And so while I do think that there are some outstanding values right now, you don't, I mean, you, you don't need to run out and, and load up the boat today. I think you have the opportunity to ease your way in to, 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 uh, to, to you know, get toeholds in certain markets, and we can talk about how we positioned our recommendations. Uh, look, we we're, we're sitting here coming up towards the end of October, and this is and October is typically the end of uh, tax loss selling for most mutual funds. Uh, now, you know, that's not where it's going to end, and clearly it's been a poor year. So, number one, we think you can ease your way in. Number two, we'd be buyers on weakness, not strength, and the market will give you. Unfortunately, many days of weakness. Again, I see rates are up again today. Uh, but, you know, and if you do own REITs, I think this is a good opportunity with, you know, you can do some uh, tax loss harvesting within certain sectors and swap into different names. Uh, that, that's certainly a way. But I, I think the short answer is the way we're approaching it is 
Um, if you don't own them, I think there, there's there's room in portfolios. Uh, don't chase yield, buy quality, ease your way in. We've recommended what we call a barbell approach. So think about a barbell. It has two ends and a bar in the middle. So on one end of the barbell, we've gone a little further out on the risk curve with a couple of high-quality office names and one very high-quality mall name. And I recognize that both mall and office have become four-letter words. Uh, but these are very high-quality names, and we are probably more constructive, no pun intended, that, you know, whether it's 12, 18, 24 months from now, more office occupancy will be there when people think. Uh, the mall recommendation we have is a very unique company, and the yield is incredibly strong. On the under end of the barbell is what we call our growthier REITs, and I know real estate and growth don't often go together, but these are more infrastructure-type REITs that are, are benefiting from technological innovations. And then that bar or the middle of it are the sectors we think just have really good, strong supply-demand fundamentals, like industrial slash warehouse, residential rentals, uh, life sciences oriented real estate. Those make up the bulk of our recommendations. John, thank you as always for dropping by top of the morning for today, providing our listeners, our clients with an update on the REIT landscape. And thank you for the guidance there at the end on positioning within the group. Always great catching up with you, John. Looking forward to having you back with us. My pleasure, Dan. Thanks for having me. Take care. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.